When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois. You're listening to From the Chair, and I'm your host, Mike Hamilton. Join us each episode as we talk to athletic directors from across America. We're going to talk about topics like leadership, career development, issues of the day, and I can promise you we're going to have some fun along the way, too. So sit back, listen in, and let's dive in. Let's go. Welcome in today's episode, uh, my friend, Dwayne Peavy, who is the Vice President and Director of Athletics at DePaul University. Dwayne, great to have you with us. Thanks, Mike. Glad to be on. You know, it seems like uh, I know time flies in these chairs. Somebody said one time it's if dog years are seven to one, you know, 80 years or at least three to one. And with that being <laughs> the case, you've now been in the chair since August of, of 20. So how's it going here? You're now a year plus into the job. Uh, it's going great. And I would agree with those odds because I, I fault you every day because you were one of the first people I talked to. I don't know if you remembered it when I was back at the SEC office convincing yeah. me I need to get on a campus and talking about getting on this trek. So um, we're going to get a lot out of this podcast for sure. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, man. Well, congratulations to you. And I'm so glad you're there. And I know you'll do a phenomenal job. You know, um, hey, look, let's just hit it early here. Early in your your uh, narrative around you going to DePaul, I read somewhere where you talked about dreaming big. And I've seen some mm-hmm. of your staff members quote something along the lines of dreaming big. And I, I know that that's important to you. You've been in places where you do dream big. And so, 
as a start, let's just talk about what that means to you personally, but also what it means now that you're in the chair at DePaul. What does it mean to dream big? I think it was one of the reasons that I wanted this job. You know, obviously being a deputy at Kentucky for the last seven years prior to coming to DePaul, I was in a pretty good position. So I wanted to make sure that, that if I had a next school or place I went to be athletic director, that they were willing to to dream big with me. And so I talked about that during the recruitment or the hiring process, so to speak, uh, about where it could go. I mean, Paul, DePaul was very attractive about based on the potential it had. Obviously, we hadn't done as many things um, at that major biggies level of where we could go, especially in men's basketball, fundraising, some of the other things that we can do facility wise. And so I needed to make sure going into this that the administration and the support would be there and that they were willing to think about something that maybe not doesn't seem as tangible right there in front of them. And it was very funny because as I went into my press conference, I really wasn't planning on talking about dreaming big or you know, some marketing moniker or anything like that, but it was just really who I was as a person, uh, kind of how I got to the spot that I was in my career. And the reason that DePaul was a great fit for me because they were dream, dreaming big too and really needed someone to kind of help get that message out and take us to the next level together. And so I think that was the thing that resonated with me. Uh, that gives me energy now. Uh, the fact that I have a lot of my teammates here on campus, my peer group on uh, in, in campus partnerships or on my staff that are willing to do that as well. And I think the fact that it's allowed me to add more people to my team because they want to be here and they're seeing those external outreach messages and want to be part of that growth. And so that's exciting for me. That's great. And we're going to talk a little bit about your future at DePaul and what you've got ahead of you. I know you've, you're just wrapping up a strategic plan and some other things. Right. But first, I want to go back to, um, you know, you played baseball at Montevallo. Uh, you yeah. you went to work at the SEC office. I think Commissioner Kramer actually hired you, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Yes, and, that's right. Uh, you know, that's where we got connected and got to know each other early on. And then, um, you know, through different SEC events. And then Mitch brought you on board at Kentucky. And, and, you know, you and I share an affinity and, and love for Mitch Barnhart, as many guys right. do. And Mitch is a guy that humbly goes about his work and does, doesn't ask for a lot of attention. But you can look in the marketplace today and see the many people he's touched based on the number of folks who have been athletic directors, are athletic directors, or are serving in senior positions. And so I want to touch on that first as we look at your career track. Just your time with Mitch and the fact that he's now got, I'll call it a big tree, right? There are a lot of folks right. who have come through his shop, and I want to know specifically what he did to prepare you, the opportunities that he gave you to prepare you for this chance that you now have. Well, I think first and foremost, it was just the opportunity um, to, you know, to, like you talked about my background, you know, being at an NAIA school that transverse transitioned to Division Two, got an opportunity to go to the SEC office. You know, Mitch came in at the same time Mike Slive came in, so I was already had been at the SEC office a couple of years and I was on the communication side. I wasn't, you know, I, I had this dream that I told Mr. Kramer when I got hired the, during my interview that I wanted to be a division one athletic director someday or, or commissioner. And so, yeah, that was in the back of my mind, but until I got to Kentucky, that probably wasn't a real idea. And I think following Scott Strickland there, who obviously was taking that trip, you know, going to Mississippi state, being in administration, you know, maybe that opened Mitch's eyes that that's something I might be interested in. But we never had that conversation early on. I was too busy trying to 
in year one, um, uh, I had Billy Gillespie as a second-year coach, and we ended up making a change after that year, shifting to John Calipari and keeping that pace with a bunch of freshmen uh, right out the, out the gate as the sports information director. But the thing I'd say the most that Mitch did for me is that he saw that potential in me before I even had that conversation, before I even went to his office and say, this is what I want to do and how can you help me grow and what are the next steps I need to do that you hear so much. He saw that in me and the chance for me to be from media relations to being over external to having a chance to be the men's basketball administrator after Rob Mullins and uh, Mark Coyle had left Kentucky in probably the, a year and a half time without me even thinking I was up for that, that was the thing I, that I owe him so much on. To see that potential of what I was able to maybe accomplish someday. He, he had that faith in me, and obviously I wanted to achieve those goals, but I wanted to make him proud too uh, and make it where he made the right choice. And so putting my time and effort, being an administrator for men's basketball, overseeing development at that time, um, really put me on a trek to be the deputy the next year uh, and then doing that for seven years, getting to learn from him every day and making all those decisions on the job in the deputy role, it's made the transition from this role a lot more seamless on the decision-making process side, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely informative to your selection at DePaul, for sure. I'm curious, when you talked about, and I'd forgotten this, that you were not only overseeing development, but also serving as a basketball administrator at the same time. Those are two heavyweight jobs within an athletic department. Yeah. And particularly when you talk about basketball at the University of Kentucky, and particularly when you talk about your head basketball coach at the University of Kentucky. So before we talk about Cal uh, and, and your time with him, tell me how you found a way to balance those two very significant jobs in terms of time management and, and that sort of thing. Well, the funniest thing is that when Mark Cole left in December of 2011, uh, went to Boise State to be the athletic director at that time, we were in the middle of our championship season. You know, Anthony Davis, Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, we were in the middle of that championship season. And I was the direct, you know, I was over media relations at the time. So that was my role in basketball. And so to shift in the middle of the year to being over the development side and the men's basketball administrator within that same season. So technically I still was a sports information director and the basketball administrator and overseeing the development office for the first time within that same championship season. As you know, you know, all those things are huge in those pieces. And I remember we actually had Anthony Davis poster night. Uh, we were playing Florida. We had lost one game at that point and the announcement came out press release and everything and everybody's coming to you now keep in mind inside i'm overwhelmed just thinking about all this i'm carrying my wagon of the sports information behind me because i'm still doing that job i'm still doing the book at the games yeah. and i'm and I'm, <laughs> I'm the men's basketball administrator um and, and and overseeing development so on the road and then the final four in the national championship game i'm at center court doing the scorebook still Right. And so that actual night, I actually ended up in the hospital and they said it was stress related because my blood pressure shot up. I just think the moment that all that came to fruition, that I became, you know, final in the postgame press conference, I just got a little lightheaded. <laughs> I ended up being nothing wrong, but it was just to show you how much. Right. And then I think what it was, it taught me I had to let go. And my career was built on so much success in the communications sports information, media relations side of things, it was hard for me to let that go. 
But the good thing is that that visit to the hospital let me know, okay, I, I got to give up something. And I don't think Mitch had plans for me to keep doing that, but allowed me to let that go, which allowed me the room to grow, to, to really dive into the development side of things, uh, get a lot more experience in that piece because I hadn't done any of that prior um, and really be a, you know, more innovative sport administrator for men's basketball to, to, to try to stay two steps ahead of John Calipari, which is a challenge every day. And I think yeah. that's probably what gave me, that kind of molded me to who I am. I mean, Mitch giving me that. Think about it. Kentucky, men's basketball, to be able to say, hey, Dwayne, like, I want to see you grow in every way you can in this area. Having autonomy to work directly with Cal on the scheduling, the budget, um, you know, the decision making with staffing, contracts, all that stuff, all the experience that he gave me during that time period. I'm not going through that the first time right now. I've, I've been doing that for eight years. And I think that's the advantage that being at Kentucky, whatever role you're in, Mitch has that trust in people to allow you to grow on site where he can help you versus being out there in the the non-Kentucky real world for the first time and just stumbling through a lot of those things for the first time ever. Yeah. So obviously with Cal having to have the success that he's had and, and the sort of iconic image that he has in basketball, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that it's interesting where trust is placed and mm -hmm. sometimes you know, it's not uncommon for a basketball coach to begin to trust someone in media relations or begin to trust their trainer or they brought somebody with them that's been on their basketball staff before or whatever. So you've got this this guy who has won at a very high level and you're at Kentucky and where basketball is like, again, king. How did you how did you and Cal develop that trust relationship that allowed you to begin to do all the things that you've just referred to that you began to do with Kentucky basketball? Well, ironically, it, it began from the start. Uh, when he first got there, me being his SID, uh, as you said, I didn't even know if he was bringing somebody with him then. I didn't know if I would even survive it or in that role. You know, it was that much uncertainty. We met before, but not really had uh, any long conversations or anything like that because, you know, once the, the hiring process went pretty fast. But the thing that united us, Mike, the thing that did it was Twitter. So three weeks into his start date, we started his Twitter account. So basically, I was managing Cal's Twitter. I think it was like April 23rd, 2009, right? So I have to now talk to him three to four, five times a day just about whatever's going on, not about what I needed to talk to him about or what he really wanted to talk about, just so he could feed this. You know, obviously he didn't know how to manage it to do it manually at the time. So it was probably best for everybody that I was, there was, there was some kind of buffer system <laughs> based on some of the things he wanted to do. Uh, but we were doing everything from motivational Mondays to, you know, uh, I mean, but it really, keep in mind, we haven't even, he hadn't even coached a game at Kentucky. So we have that whole spring and summer that I'm talking to him three, four times a day. And so we became really close during that time period, building up his Twitter account to over a million followers before we played a game. And I think, one, the Memphis situation culminated that summer as well. And to know that, that I, along with others, were fighting for him through that, really 
develop a strong relationship that still lasts to this day. And so as I went from SID role, which obviously there was a lot of, you know, we might bang heads on different things or, you know, he knew it was, I was looking out for his best interest. And for me to become the administrator, he knew that he wasn't my boss. You know, Mitch is my boss. I'm representing both thoughts, trying to do the best for Kentucky basketball, which obviously helps him. I think it just really allowed our relationship to be one where, hey, it, got, it grew to one where I could tell him, like, coach, I think you really got this wrong. And and maybe he might not tell me, OK, but I knew that it resonated with him because he we had a very trusting relationship, which allowed us to get through a lot of things, whether that was contract negotiations or things of that nature or budget situations um, or the stuff with scheduling. Uh, it, it allowed yeah. us to get a lot done together. Yeah. So everybody has to find their place on Twitter. Right. And you've got, right. you know, you've got Chris Del Conte and Greg Byrne who are active on Twitter. And then you've got, you know, guys who never appear on Twitter. Right. So where where are you in that mix? And if and if you're utilizing Twitter, how will you use Twitter to be the AD you want to be at DePaul? I'm interested in that. Yeah, I, I'm a big proponent of Twitter because my students pay attention to it to the point where if I didn't, if we have somebody have an outstanding performance today and I don't tweet anything about it within some point, 24 hours, I'm probably getting a teamwork message from somebody saying, hey, you, I noticed you didn't put anything out. I mean, yeah. I know that, that they're paying attention to it. And yeah. I think for me early on at DePaul, especially during a pandemic where we had no events and fans, it was a way to humanize me to our fan base, to people who knew who I was. I meet a lot of people that know me from social media or maybe um, a webinar or something I've done. And it's kind of helped, you know, that they know me just as a person. They might see my family on Facebook. They might see pictures on Instagram or they might see the things that I'm tweeting out all the time. And so it gives them some sense of who I am. And I'm able to build up some level of normal equity before, you know, we stop winning every game in men's basketball. <laughs> so yeah. um, I think that's part of the process to me. I want them to know me as a person just as much as they know me as the administrator in the job. And I think it humanizes it a little bit, but it just gives me a platform. Coming from Kentucky, I had the largest media social media following of anybody on our campus. So that's part of the thing, too, is that i become a vehicle for other people. So if I'm retweeting something or I quote tweet somebody else or I like something, it gives it a lot more push than normally what's going around in our building. You sound like a communications expert, man. A little background <laughs> in there, right? Uh, hey, uh, so okay. one more question about Cal, and then I'm going to transition to DePaul. Okay. Um, you know, I remember when I went through my interview process, and granted, I had been at Tennessee for 11 years, but one of the questions I was asking the interview was, okay, you've been a peer or a uh, supporting cast member here, and now all of a sudden you're going to be, uh, you're going to be a leader and coach with Coach Fulmer and Coach Summit and Coach Peterson uh, um, at the time. You know, how do you transition into a role where you've got these in the SEC in particular, but candidly everywhere? You know, the, these kinds of jobs are kingmaker type jobs, and then you know, so you've got a guy with with a high profile and Coach Cal. Obviously, Mitch is ultimately his boss. But but you're charged with being his basketball administrator. Um, how do you what did you learn from that as it relates to now how you will lead your coaches on DePaul's campus that you can pull from that time with Cal? I think the biggest thing it gave me is credibility right away. 
Uh, I probably didn't realize the level of it um, coming in, but the coaches would mention that all the time. I think they assume, okay, that they knew I was pretty closely working with John Calipari, you know, who obviously a Hall of Fame coach. It's not, you know, the assumptions from the outside is that's not easy. So I'm more, I would say I'm a coach's athletics director. I don't, you know, maybe I can't define exactly what that means, but I'm used to having a strong relationship with the coaches. And even if I go back to Kentucky, it wasn't just with John Calipari. You know, I would, outside of Cal, I probably had a pretty good relationship with most of the coaches at Kentucky. Just because, as you know, when you're the deputy, you get all you get all the stuff when they don't want to quite go to Mitch yet. They don't want to go to yeah. the boss yet, right? And so yeah. you get a chance to keep up with them and be a problem solver, which has been great for me. Because now, not only do I know a little bit about basketball from what I've learned in my time at the SEC in Kentucky, but, you know, I'm trying to be on the, uh, the men's soccer selection committee next year because of my role working with soccer or, you know, I feel like I can resonate with all our coaches because of my experience at Kentucky, because I had a relationship with every coach that we had sport we have here. We had at Kentucky and I had a relationship. I've been involved to some degree, whether that's assistant coaches, salaries or budgets or travel conversations or just normal things that's going on in the industry that has really resonated and helped me here. As far as I'm the one that's bringing to our coaches at DePaul, my goal is I want to bring the idea of thought to you of where we need to go or what our needs are versus you bringing that to me, you know, and, that, and I know there's going to be times where they beat me to the punch, but that was the challenge I had with Cal every day. And it worked for me, like stay ahead of the ask, think bigger picture because that give, that made him feel that I had value to the program every day because I was bringing ideas and thoughts versus him always have to be asking something. I got to say yes or no, or make it happen. And so that's what I try to do with my 10 head coaches here, too, is that this is what I'm planning to do with the budget. What do you think versus them asking me for it? And I've done that in a short period of time with, you know, say a coach like Doug Bruno that's been here a long time. And I'm trying to learn a lot from a veteran coach like him. But also I can bring some things that he hasn't thought about or asked me about. Just like moving to Wintrust Arena, we moved all our women's basketball games out of the Sullivan Center. Um, out of McGrath Phillips Arena on campus to uh, Wintrust Arena um, in uh, South Loop. That wasn't something Coach Bruno asked for or women's basketball asked for. That was something I brought to them that I wanted to do, and they were on board with it. And so that's the challenge I think that has really helped me with dealing with Cal and other coaches at Kentucky that has resonated and really helped me in my experience as a new AD. So speaking of Coach Bruno, that was on my list to ask you about. Obviously, he's had sustained success at DePaul over a long period of time across right. you know different different league structures. Different, you know, he has had the same AD until recently because right. of the history there. But um, you know, what have you seen from him that has been informative to your learning about DePaul and what it takes to be successful at DePaul? Um, you know, again, he's very highly regarded, right, in postseason play and all that kind of stuff over history. So I'm curious if you have some takeaways early on from from learning from him. Well, I found myself saying some of the Bruno-isms already. And I, don't, I think that's good. I think that's good for our relationship. But the thing that's about <laughs> Coach Bruno, because he's the greatest, you know, he's been a men's basketball assistant and also been an administrator. He's been an associate AD. So he gets other pieces, not just his job as the women's basketball coach. So he's able to see a little bit of the side to help coach Stubblefield with some things as a new coach. 
You know, then he's got this new AD and Dwayne over here that he can help with. And like you said, he's been through a few ADs at DePaul. You know, obviously with but, uh, with with Jeannie being here, a good part of that, who actually played for Doug. But he's been with other ADs, too. And a lot of the stories and things that he'll tell me are brought about by some of the experiences we have together about some of the things that, you know, it reminds him of a lot of things that he's dealt with prior in his career. And um, I think the challenge, you know, we'll get together. We've got together a few times and, um, and after work and I'll tell him, you know, I'm picking his brain about how do you have sustained sustained success? How do you get people to understand what excellence means and getting them to step up to your level of it? I'm trying to figure out how can I help him more? And I'm thinking more big picture because he's a, hey, I have what I have and let's go do everything we can with what we have. I'm trying to get him to expand his horizons of where we can go with some of the things. Thinking about Wintrust, how we travel, what our budget looks like, um, you know, how we recruit, um, just challenging him every day because I feel like if I can bring value to him in that way to make him think even bigger than he's thought before, then imagine where we can go. And what I told him is that, hey, I plan on us working a long time together together. And let's let's go to your let's go to our final four and go try to win a championship. Why why yeah. why do it if we're not trying to go to that high level? And I think that that speaks to him because he's somebody that's pushing himself every day. He's got more energy than you can ever believe. And that and and I felt like if I can be in this you know as long as he has and still be motivated to be great, um, then if I can get halfway to where he is. I think that'll be a hell of a run. And I think that's the thing that resonates. He he is really good with our, our young people, uh, really connected to the alums, really iconic in the Chicago area. I can't run into anybody in town of adult age that haven't either been to Ray Meyer camp or Doug Bruno camp, right? Yeah. And so he's a legend, but the fact that I can learn something from him and hopefully just get him to think a little differently to realize that, this can be really fun over the next five to 10 years. That's, that's what I'm trying to accomplish in my daily, daily, daily interaction with coach Bruno. That's great. So look, let's talk about men's basketball for a second. And this is not to discount any of your other sports because they all matter. Right. But you know, coming to DePaul, I thought you were a great hire because of your history at Kentucky and you know, DePaul is known as a basketball school, right? You don't have football, you don't have baseball. You've got your other sports. You've, you've alluded to that. That are successful. Women's basketball certainly is and has been. And men's basketball, for a guy like me, uh, I particularly know of the success of DePaul's men's basketball program. You mentioned Coach Meyer. I mean, some phenomenal teams. You've been ranked number one in America. So you, you can get there. You can do it. I'm curious as to your thought of a pathway towards, let's call it national championship level um, success. And, you know, certainly part of that is not to, not to, you know, lead the witness, but part of that's the, the league you're in. Part of that is the right. city you're in. Um, as you now have been there and had 18 months or so to, to view the landscape, is DePaul still a program where you can launch to national championship level um, achievement in men's basketball? And what are you trying to lay down the tracks to help uh, to do to help get you back to that place? Mike, you're right. I mean, that's why I wanted a job. Um, you know how you go around and you poke your head into a few jobs. This is the first job where I pretty much put all my eggs in, in 
in one basket. I told everybody I could know that I was trying to get this job. I tried to get as many people to help me with this job because I wanted to realize quickly on the front end, is it what it seems like from the outside? Can we, answering your question, can we really get back to that national level of prominence in men's basketball at DePaul? Because we need our one revenue sport to help lift all our boats. You know, we've had success in women's basketball. We went to four women's college world series in softball. And, and But to get us to that level that where we can really resonate, we need a men's basketball back. And I think, I definitely think we can. And I think you, you pointed to a few things. Being in the Big East Conference is a heck of a head start because if you can be competitive in this league, you can be a NCAA postseason nationally ranked team, right? You don't have to win the league to go to the dance. You don't have to win the league to be in the mix. Um, you can be middle of the pack in this league and be significant enough to go win it all. And so it's not as far away from us to be competitive, to have a chance to really start playing for, you know, weekend after weekend. I think the other piece is Chicago. Um, obviously, it's a huge recruiting base. Um, you know, nobody, I, you know, when I was doing this coaching search, I said to me, if you haven't really recruited Chicago, I'm questioning if you're really a recruiter because, hey, you might not have anybody, but you should at least be in Chicago because of the amount of talent that's here. But I think the thing that you alluded to with us being number one in late 70s, early 80s, getting to a Final Four, the Ray Meyer years, Mark Aguirre, Terry Cummins, uh, Rod Strickland's, the alumni base is such a huge asset for us is that the people here, my generation in Chicago, all remember watching DePaul games. They were the yeah. team before Michael Jordan and the Bulls. They were the team. And even myself in Birmingham, Alabama growing up, the first basketball game I recall watching was WGN DePaul basketball because it wasn't a lot of basketball on television like that. And I think that's why you have a lot of people here. 85% of our alumni base works in Chicago. You have my generation here all has an affinity for DePaul that we can pull into. And now we have to get the generation of our student athletes, prospective student athletes to understand that DePaul is successful. Because my kids, I have a 14 year old and a 21 year old, they never heard of DePaul. And so that's the part that we have to bridge the gap to, whether you're in Chicago or not, to understand where this program's been, where it's going. Uh, we're off to a, you know, an undefeated start so far, but we've got a long road ahead of us. And But we, I feel like we can get there sooner than later because of all those assets, because of being on the, in the Big East, because of our Fox deal and being on FS1 pretty much every game, every night. Um, and being in Chicago where people love basketball and we're in a pretty new arena in our fifth year at Wintrust Arena. We just had the Chicago Sky win a world championship in that arena. I saw it packed for games three and four of the WNBA championship and with a bunch of people that had never been to Wintrust Arena or never been to a Sky game. So now it's just a matter of getting our work done so we can reap some of those benefits too. I love that, man. I love that, the vision casting for the arena and knowing what it can become for you guys. So Tony's Tony's your guy, you know, and uh, you, so you, this is your first big, big hire on this platform. Right. And we've talked about how important basketball is there. What, what did you see in Tony that says he's the one? Well, it was interesting because I talked to 37 coaches, Mike. That's probably overkill. <laughs> but I talked to you before that, you would have told me to limit it. But I started out <laughs> with a list of 20. I had five associate head coaches on it, and Tony was one of those five. Never met Tony before. 
but somebody had looked at and I knew Rob Mullins at Oregon had promoted him to associate head coach like in December before. And so I had, uh, you know, a group that I wanted to talk to. And obviously Oregon made the tournament, uh, had a buy in the first round. And I had a bunch of Zooms early on. It's kind of like speed networking or whatever. And Tony was one of those. And his personality, his passion, his energy resonated. And just like a lot of people, I had a lot of really good Zoom interviews. And it was like, okay, I, I marked him as one I did. I wanted to talk to again. Because I kind of, you know, we were doing them so fast, you run out of time. We didn't really get into some of the X's and O's and things of that nature. But I knew it was somebody right away that really wanted a job. Two, I knew he had the energy, um, you know, just kind of doing my background on him. He's a really big relationship guy, great recruiter. Uh, and I knew he had been a veteran assistant, you know, not just hadn't been a head coach. I mean, he had been an assistant under Dana Altman and Mick Cronin in his last two stops for almost almost 20 years of that. And so I knew a lot about him. It interests me in him. But then they kept winning. And as I'm going through the process, I'm narrowing my group down, met with an initial group in person, um, and, and then made a decision whether I wanted to make a decision where I was or let's see for another weekend. And so... Um, that was one of the things that the search firm DHR International Glenn Sugiyama helped me with is that, hey, if you feel good by where you are, you'll feel good by where you are in two more days. So let's see how the weekend plays out in the uh, Sweet 16. And all of a sudden, Sweet 16, uh, Elite Eight weekend, you got a bunch of more coaches you can talk to that were interested in this job. This job had enough affinity that I could talk to a lot of people. I had a couple of people that wouldn't talk to me. They were coming to the edge of where I was from a budget standpoint or where we could get. Uh, but most people I could get a conversation with. And so Tony was one of the ones that I got to talk to after they lost in the Sweet 16. And he actually was close to driving up Chicago, hoping he can get a conversation with me, but decided to get on the team charter back to Oregon. And about when he landed, I think in, within 90 minutes, he had to hop on a plane to Chicago to meet with me and my <laughs> president and some others. So that was probably that was probably the first move. He should have went with his gut instinct, um, but really impressed me in person. Uh, I was just really impressed. The things that I saw early continue to resonate. He was really good on the X's and O's compared to some of the peers that were there. And that was one of the things you don't get if he hasn't been a head coach, right? You don't really know, um, you know, breaking us down, taking us through offense, throwing a lot of scenarios, having some answers to that. And honestly, in my sit down with him one-on-one, it just felt right. It felt like someone that I could battle through this with. We've kind of got to dig out of a little bit of a hole here, you know, and from a men's basketball standpoint. So I needed somebody that was okay with where we are, but could help me grow it to where we needed to be versus just take the job because of where they think we can get it to, you know, I need him to be comfortable grinding a little bit. And here I was a first time AD. I wasn't against a first time head coach either. You know, my coaching friends all tell you, would tell you, hey, go get a head coach, right? I don't think I could find many of them that didn't tell me to go hire a head coach if I wasn't talking about actual names. Um, but it felt right. I slept on it, came down to a final decision um, and, and went that direction to have him look back. I haven't, you know, and I haven't second guessed it once. Uh, he's been above and beyond, even better than I thought, as far as a fit for what we needed here. Um, and he's a tireless worker. I mean, he didn't even go back to Oregon after the press conference for about, I mean, maybe four weeks. 
<laughs> he just <laughs> stayed here and hit the hit the pavement and started visiting with coaches and finally went home to Oregon and get his get his stuff so he could officially try to move here. And so it's been a great start for us. But the thing that's really resonated is just with these students, just the energy and grit and the passion that they play with. It resonates from what he gives to that every day. So we got a staff that provides that energy as well. I think it's been a good move for us, and I'm looking forward to our future together. Well, look, I think you hit on a couple of really important points. I mean, there's just who they work with is important, right? Their recruiting plans, those kind of things. But at the end of the day, cultural fit is is paramount, and the ability for you to when you check your gut at night, uh, for you to feel like, hey, this is somebody I can lock arms with, and we can go to work. At you know, when it's all said and done, uh, that's what is going to matter, right? Because you're the one that's going to have to right. work with them. And I think that's I think that's an important uh, piece of the puzzle. So just a couple of quick things to, to close out. Okay. You've now been there for a little bit. I know you've got a, a tight knit family. Your daughter, I think, transferred back uh, to yeah. being near you guys and your son's in school. And so what are uh, we had? We're, we've coming out. We're coming out of the pandemic. What have you guys been doing to get acquainted with Chicago as a family? Well, really kind of. It really kind of opened up to me in May when kind of some of the restrictions dialed down. I got a chance. I, I was kind of stuck in this office. I was coming in this office every day when no one was coming in here just to just dive into the work. But you're right. So my daughter, Caitlin, transferred from Kentucky State to DePaul in the spring quarter last year. My son, Braden, started as a freshman at DePaul Prep this fall. My wife, Allison, she's getting her master's in film and television at DePaul. And so they're totally uh, You're locked in, man. You're locked. Yeah, that's why I figured out is that I better get this job right. I better, <laughs> I better start working pretty hard because they're not leaving Chicago. They love it here, um, and I finally got a chance to see it late spring in the summer. And so what we did, we kind of did a staycation. We didn't go anywhere all summer. We wanted to enjoy summer in Chicago because everybody talks about how great it is. And man, it doesn't last long enough. It went by so fast, um, but. I'm, I'm a half a mile walk into work in Lincoln Park. Um, it has been phenomenal start and I'm excited. We got a lot of work to do, but it's what drives me every day because the energy of this place, the people, um, you know, we've got our new marketing campaign talking about blue grit because it's really kind of the grit of the people of Chicago, a bunch of hardworking individuals that are used to everything not being handed to them. That's kind of what we're all about. And I love my staff and these students. And, you know, I've got a presidential change coming. We're going through that process right now. I didn't count on that on the front end, but but basically that's just kind of been the, the hand I've been dealt in my career. And so, I'm, you know, I, you know, I'm going to miss Dr. Esteban, his wife, Joe, but I'm looking forward to the challenge of new leadership and where that's going to take us as well. And so but um, this has been a great move for us. Uh, I even like the cold weather. I'm OK. You know, even last uh, late January and February, we got about 24 inches of snow. The only thing I'm not used to is it doesn't go away like I used to when I was at yeah. Kentucky or, or Birmingham. Um, no I mean, it just stays days there in the middle becomes of like a dirty block of ice. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but, I, but 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 I've made it through that. So I'm still surviving. Well, at the risk of putting you on a spot, my final question is, have you decided on your favorite Chicago deep dish pizza yet? Oh, that's tough. So I'm still I'm still in the tasting phase of that. So I came in. Giordano's and Luminati's and what I had had before. And obviously yeah. like Lou's is like two blocks away from my house. So I try not to do that too much. But like Pequod's Pizza has been a new one that I hadn't had before. Uh, you have to try that. 
um, that's what I did find out, Mike, is that I had to get on a better uh, diet regimen because <laughs> eating steak and deep uh, pan pizza, deep dish pizza all the time is not I wasn't going to make it. So um, I've, I've got back to my pre Chicago weight now. And now I'm working on trimming from there. So, that, you know, I, I had the pandemic deep, deep dish pizza start. And um, but I got I mixed in a little. I still like thin crust, too. But there's nothing like Chicago pizza. So I've sent I've sent along a little pizza to some of my friends. And so I'll, I'll send I'll send you a little care package, too. So you won't miss out as well. Uh, that sounds good. Well, hey, man, um, it's been great to be with you today. I really look forward to getting up your way and, and sitting with you and catching up. Yeah. We've got a lot more to talk about at some point, just based on the discussion we've had here today. But but thanks for joining us. We appreciate you. Thank you, Mike. And I, I'm a big fan of the podcast. I listen all the time because we're all learning, right? We're all educators, but we're all learners. And so I appreciate you doing this and having me on. It's our pleasure. So you've been listening to From the Chair. I'm your host, Mike Hamilton. Today's guest has been Dwayne Peavy, who is the Vice President and Director of Athletics at DePaul University. So glad to have had Dwayne with us today. We hope you'll subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and you also take the chance to view it occasionally on YouTube. Thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you next time.